Shut up and sit down. Hello, strangers, and welcome to the latest episode of Strangers in a Cinema. I'm one of your co-host Paul Anderson here once again with co-host Pete Wall. Pete, how are you this week? Let's try and keep the tone the tone light because it's not been a great week, but let's let's keep the tone up. <laughs> yeah, things have got really real. It's difficult for people out there. We appreciate anybody who's taken the time out of their day to listen to this, even though we know at this time more than ever uh, there is time available in the day to do things like uh, ingest podcasts. But appreciate everyone who's kept up with the show anyway. And what can I say? positive wise Paul um what I can say is I've done an awful lot of house cleaning uh this has been a, a sort of unexpected perk of being on lockdown at the moment so the house is looking uh, looking pretty great to be honest um also kept relatively well stocked on basics so that's good um and we get to benefit from to be honest it's something that I've come to appreciate over the recent days the amazing uh, abilities that we have now provided by technology, the fact that you can connect with friends and family, not only for recording vital public services like The Strangers Podcast, but also (laughs) for just catching up and having, you know, HD quality video conversations with people that you care about. I think that's an amazing thing that we're really only now fully appreciating, perhaps. So those are positive things. How about you? What What's positive in your life right now? Uh, yeah, house tidying. So the, the room that you can see behind you, I've allowed you to see it this for once, Pete. So yeah, that's this is a lot tidier now. So yeah, realise I'm going to be working from home a bit. So we're going to be spending quite a lot more time in the spare room. So that's been cleaned out, which is good. Um, yeah, Disney Plus has landed. So that's given me a bit of joy, which is quite good. I think it's perfect, almost perfectly timed for the UK. So that's quite good. So I've been watching stuff in... Uh, in all their sort of 4K, 4K Dolby Vision based glory, but more on that in a bit. Um, and then, yeah, I guess those are the positives. A bit more time to squeeze some films in, I guess. Um, but yeah, no, as I said, the house is, I'm with you, Pete, the house is much tidier and we'll now have to stay that way because uh, ultimately, otherwise, it's going to get quite messy quite quickly. So uh, yeah, we're staying on top of it. Fairly well stocked with food still in Bath, where I am, which is a relief. So uh, thank you to everyone keeping that up, keeping that up and running for us. So yeah, strange times indeed. But yeah, let's let's not let's not dwell on that. Um, what have we got coming up this week, Pete? We've got a slight change to slight change to the format this week with everything that's going on. So yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. We wanted to adapt a little bit to the current circumstances. So we've made a little tweet to the show. So we've got mostly what you'd come to expect if you'd listened to this for a little time, which is that we have a feature review today. That one is going to be the platform which has gone out wide because it's on Netflix. Uh, obviously accessible to everyone with that platform. see what I've done Uh, in addition to that though we're going to hang a top five on the show so this week we've gone top five uplifting movies people need to continue to feel good and we're going to aim to please in that regard with that top five that will come at the end of the show after the feature before the feature we would usually have coming attractions previews of things coming out of the cinema now Nothing is coming out of the cinema and no one is going to the cinema. So we've scrapped that section for the time being. Rather than talk about new releases on streaming platforms, we're going to go a bit broader and we're going to have a new section called Stream Team. Again, see what I've done. Uh, Stream Team is going to allow Paul and I to talk about what we think are some of the sort of hidden gems on Netflix, on Amazon Prime and on Mubi. For now, we're going to focus on those three platforms. 
We may expand out as things go on and as we get comfortable with that part of the show, but we're just going to recommend things, basically. Before all of that, we've still got popcorn movies where we're going to review things that we've seen individually over the last seven days or so. And first of all, we're in the foyer. In the foyer this week, Paul, film news as always, but what in particular has, uh, has come onto your radar in the last week or well, so? Yeah, despite a number of productions kind of winding down for the foreseeable future, there has been some news this week, which is always good to know. There is some, there are some films coming when when the world returns to normal. Um, the first of which that jumped out at me is Ryan Gosling. Uh, this is from IndieWire. Ryan Gosling's heading back to outer space in a new adaptation uh, of a book yet to be published from the author of The Martian. Uh, the book is called Project Hail Mary, um, and it's been scooped up by MGM. Basically, the rights have been bought to make a film of a book that's not even out yet, and it's going to star Ryan Gosling. Um, that's about all we know about this at the moment um the author is andy weir i enjoyed the martian a lot actually i think it was one of ridley scott's best films for some time um so yeah i'd be intrigued to see where this goes um i said it's difficult to know any more than that at the moment but it is news (laughs) yeah i feel like we haven't seen a lot of ryan gosling recently is it is it blade runner the last time that you can recall seeing him on the on the big screen first man was after blade runner wasn't it of course it was yeah that's what slipped my mind and since then no, I don't think I've seen him in much since First Man, to be honest. Someone will, someone will probably be screaming at us now, listening at home, going, but what about this? But what about this? Tell us. <laughs> yeah, let us know what we're missing. But yeah, it sounds like he's he's back to work uh, on that one. And, and do you have any kind of release date or is that not clear yet? Uh, no, not clear at the moment, to be honest. I don't think um, they said the book's not out. So we'll see. We'll see where we go. The book will be published in the spring of 2021, apparently. So okay. um, I would imagine the film will follow, probably follow hot on the heels of that um, as soon as they can as soon as they can get around to making it. So, yeah, I, I look forward to that. I, I enjoyed I enjoyed The Martian, as I said. So I've yeah. to look forward to, I think. Yeah. And just to confirm, nothing from Gosling since First Man. Right. OK. We are. We were right. That's reassuring. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Uh, anything else this week, Paul? Uh, yes, uh, news that's very exciting to me because we've talked about both these films quite recently, I think, possibly in the past couple of weeks. Uh, Creep 3 is in production, the third film in the Creep series starring Mark Duplass um, as a creep, believe it or not. Um, these are films that we are very, very fond of, and I think we talked about them on our top something. What was the, was the top five they featured in? Top five Bloomhouse films, I think, only last week, in fact, is where they, is where they came into this. Um, so yeah, very, very effective, very, very creepy, no pun intended, found footage horror series uh, with great performance from Mark Duplass so again don't really know when it's coming but they have announced that they are working on it uh, and it will be coming out so that's quite exciting um, hopefully they can go three for three because I think the, the first two were, were superb so looking forward to those yeah and it's kind of a, a low-key recommendation I guess um, getting into the spirit of the show today uh, in the fact that now that people have got more time on, time on their hands than ever check out things from the Duplass brothers you know uh, Blue Jay's still on Netflix I'm pretty sure that's a really good one uh, things like Hump Day the Puffy Chair I mean there's loads to dig into if you Uh, dig what they do the Duplass brothers and I think a lot of people will if they haven't maybe given those movies a chance and I mean they can make creep movies all day because they're zero budget pretty much they've got like a handheld camera aesthetic for the most part and then they just rely on good performances Mark Duplass always capable of those and then on the the sequel the second one of course as we've discussed we had Desiree Akivan I would imagine in the third one there'll be new uh, an introduction of maybe a new known Mm. uh, indie actor or actress so yeah to look forward to for sure because like you rightly say Paul we're both big fans and advocates of not only Creep as a series but also the Duplass brothers I think as a creative powerhouses at this point in at least the indie space I would say yeah absolutely yeah for sure 
for sure. Um, the other thing I want to talk about, I mentioned it briefly before, is that Disney Plus has landed. Um, I've had it for about a week now, and I'm impressed so far, Pete, I'll be honest. Um, it's got it's got Dolby Vision on it, so if you've got a sort of higher-end TV, it's got the very best kind of picture format on there. The, I watched Moana on it, which I'll come to in a minute, and that looked absolutely incredible. Uh, no Dolby Atmos through Amazon as of yet, but I'm sure they'll get there. But no, I'm, I'm very, very impressed with what I've seen of it so far. It's very, very easy to use. The films look fantastic on it. Um, I watched, I've sort of watched clips here and there the mandalorian looks incredible in 4k so very very easy to use the range is the range is good as i said with you know pretty much every disney film ever made is on there um which is a nice selection to have so yeah so far so good with disney plus to be fair and, and um, d- did you get in on a deal paul or what what is it the, the going rate so for? i i pre-ordered it at 49.99 for the year but i mm. think after that point it's 5.99 a month or 50 59.99 for the year so at the moment compared to a lot of the other services it's pretty reasonably priced mm. um i'm sure they'll probably find once they've got subscribers probably creep that up don't get me wrong in the same way that i didn't realize the other day i think i'm paying over a tenner a month for netflix now and no one had, and i just hadn't noticed mm. <laughs> um so i imagine the price will creep up but i think to be fair for for what you've got there for what they've launched with i think it's really good value um especially if you're a fan of sort of marvel or star wars is on there in 4k and what marvel films are on there in 4k all of the Disney and Pixar stuff. They've put up some Pixar shorts. Um, personal shout out, the original X-Men animated series is up, which made me very, very happy because that was a Saturday afternoon favourite of mine for many years as a kid. So it's a good nostalgia trip. But yeah, I'm pretty impressed with it so far, I have to say. Nice. Yeah, I haven't uh, pulled the trigger on, on Disney Plus yet, but it's definitely not off the table because um, I think there's a lot to, to recommend it. It's just that thing that we've discussed, Paul, isn't it, before about sort of juggling subscription services i mean now more than ever in these pretty challenging times uh, both socially but also financially i guess people have got to find where they're comfortable and i would say a a good way to to feel a lot more comfortable about taking on something like disney plus is to cable cut when it comes to uh, other providers of of sort of bundled television packages because that's certainly where i'm getting to with uh, my services at the moment without naming any names Uh, (laughs) the the bill for my tv service is ridiculous and is going up again uh, next month. So yeah, I think maybe there'll be people jumping on board as they move away from a more traditional cable model, perhaps. Mm. Uh, yeah, but, I think so. Yeah. yeah, it remains to be seen, but I'm sure the service is going to be successful with all of the the quality that you. Saw. I don't think it can fail with with you know, with all the fran- with all the franchises they've got on there. You look at all those names. I think I think Disney Plus can't. You know, I don't think it can fail. In all honesty, um, yeah. original content wise, will it'll be intriguing to see the quality of the original content, like The Mandalorian. I, I've seen it before it came on Disney Plus. I'll hold my hands up. Overall, I think it's great, um, but there were a couple of shittier episodes, I'll be honest. Um, I don't think this, some of the standalone stuff was that good. Uh, Lady and the Tramp, which was in the first original feature on it, uh, live action reimagining of the animation. Uh, I'll get to that after the break. <laughs> yeah, they were doing a uh, Mandalorian cinema rollout just before everything changed. Uh, and so I guess that isn't happening anymore. I know they were showing at least some of the series on, on the See, big that screen. that would be cool. Yeah, in the cinema. Cool to watch that, yeah. But obviously not possible now. And I was going to say, obviously, um, Disney are not going to be celebrating the uh, outbreak of the coronavirus, far from it. But at the same time, there are an awful lot of children 
uh, cooped up in an awful lot of homes across the country and the world. And I would imagine Disney Plus will go down very well with parents who have kids. So, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how that all plays out in time. Is that the end of the news section for now, Paul? That is, yeah. I haven't got, I haven't got anything else for you, Pete. So, yeah, that, that is the end of the news section. <laughs> cool, cool. Well, that takes us out of the foyer and that will bring us to a little break, a short break. And when we come back, we'll get to the next section of the show, Popcorn Movies, in which we're going to review the things that we've seen in the last seven days right after this right so back we are with popcorn movies um as pete said this is anything we've watched of any age um on on anywhere really um so yeah the thing i wanted to start with i mentioned it just before the drop there is the first original disney plus movie which is the live action uh, remake of the classic animation Lady and the Tramp. Um, this stars Justin Theroux and Tessa Thompson um, as Tramp and Lady, respectively. Um, and is kind of, if you've seen like, The Lion King or you've seen Aladdin, you know the kind of, A Lion King's probably a good touchstone for this, really. You kind of know the approach they've taken where we've got photorealistic dogs in place of cartoon dogs. They still talk uh, in the same way they do in the cartoons. Um, the uh, special effects, as one would imagine from a Disney production, are fantastic. I don't think they've really cut any, scrimped on any cost just because this is coming to Disney+. Plus. So, um, yeah, the effects themselves do look very, very good. Um, the film looks great. It's very, very well. It's well enough made. Um, but the, the problems here, I think this kind of come from the similar problems that plagued The Lion King, to be honest. So certain dogs work, certain dogs, like, so you've got Trusty, which is like a big jowly dog played by Sam Elliott, and Tramp as well. When they talk, they, they kind of look okay as you can't really see the mouse moves because of the, the breed of dogs that they are. But when Lady talks, like Tessa Thompson's performance is fine. It just doesn't look right. You've got such photorealistic animals talking. It just it's, it kind of sits in the same uncanny valley as Lion King does, really. And also, if you think about it, like if if you watch it, and uh, apologies, I'm going to be a little bit crass here. When you watch like Lady and the Tramp originally, like it's a touching love story, and they have the romantic dinner, and that's quite nice. And you know they have like the romantic times themselves. When it's kind of two dogs that are super realistic like your brain just takes a step too far i'm like i don't want to see this romance between two hyper realistic animals because i've seen you know everyone's seen dogs go at it it's not pleasant and that's where lady and the tramp ultimately will end up so like i don't know whether this basically what i'm saying is i don't know if this hyper realistic approach to sort of classic animated characters really really works i think it the magic is lost when they look too realistic um the film itself i didn't hate it i'll be honest i i kind of went in with re relatively low expectations it went on it was it was pacey enough it rolled along at a, at a reasonable pace but it it just again you've just got a question why with this it's another one of those where you've just got a question why have they done this it's, it's unnecessary um and a bit creepy in places so yeah lady in the tramp there we go. Uh, not a glowing recommendation, then. It seems no, like. it was it was all right. <laughs> uh, neither will I be able to give a glowing recommendation on my first one this week, man. I've got a Bloodshot, which you I think covered last week, right? Yes, Bloodshot, yeah. indeed. Yeah, Bloodshot, <laughs> which lucky I, devil you. <laughs> I mean, it, it tells you something when the IMDb's description of the movie is simply Ray Garrison, a slain soldier, is reanimated 
with superpowers. That's it. Uh, that's I mean, all. That is the film, to be fair. Yeah, that's what you really need to know. I mean, this one uh, screenplay written by or co-written by uh, Jeff Wadlow, who we mentioned because he was involved, of course, in Fantasy Island, which we featured a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but the director here is a guy called Dave Wilson or Dave S. F. Wilson, and it's interesting to note that this is the guy who directed the Love, Death, and Robots episode, Sunny's Edge, which, if I'm not mistaken, Paul, you absolutely hated. Uh, yes. Yeah, I recall that that discussion. But this yeah. guy has come from a, a place called Blur Studios. Blur Studios do like uh, cinematics for video games. So he's worked on things like Elder Scrolls and uh, Mass Effect 2 and a, a number of different projects that are well known, like very well known. The Division more recently, Star Wars, The Old Republic. Uh, mm. And uh, yeah, you can tell, man, the reason why I mention all those things is you can very much tell. This feels like a video game adaptation. I don't think it is that, as far as I'm no, aware. No, it is a comic adaptation. There is the okay. Source material. The source material is a comic. But yeah. Okay, that yeah, um, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, it's it's comic in in that sense. Certainly not funny. Uh, pretty dreary. Pretty pretty dour. Uh, I, I, there are a few things that like sort of stick out with Bloodshot Man because, of course, you've seen it. So I'd be interested in your response. Um, yeah, cool. We've got this guy who's on a revenge mission, kind of Punisher esque, uh, who's in been sort of imbued with new powers that allow him things like super strength but he seems like a, a comic book character from sort of the early 2000s the whole movie has a sort of instantly dated feel to it in terms of the visual presentation in terms of the characterization of people here in addition to that you've got Isa Gonzalez who is uh, this phenomenally beautiful uh, actress who's just sort of breaking through at the moment and there are whole sequences of the film where she just doesn't get to say anything. She just <laughs> yeah. gets to stand around, often with her back to the camera, wearing like a cute vest or whatever, and, and it's just bypassed in the script. It's very odd. Uh, and then at the centre of it, you've got, you know, human charisma vacuum himself, Vin Diesel, uh, doing action stuff. But like, there's nothing here to elevate this to me beyond being like a unit of sci-fi action. Was there anything in particular, Paul, that stood out to you that was sort of redeeming about Bloodshot? No, I think I talked about this last week. Like, 12-year-old Paul loves some of the mecha suits and some of the special effects work. Um, but that's it, really. That's, like, I've always had a bit of a soft spot for that kind that kind of sort of absolute mecha sci-fi nonsense. Um, but, you know, but that doesn't... But I'm totally with you. That does not make this a good film. I've kind of forgotten. I've watched it getting on for what two weeks just before the, the, all the craziness started and everyone got locked to, uh, just before the cinema shut and to be honest I'm struggling to remember parts of the film now just yeah utterly forgettable to be honest yeah yeah it's got all the staying power of like candy floss it kind of melts in your mouth and then gives you a stomach ache yeah I just I, I don't know man like you I saw this actually more recently obviously just a few days ago and I, I'm struggling to remember anything about the film other than the fact that they they skip over the uh the female lead in isa gonzalez and and i don't find vin diesel very interesting um so yeah a strange one um this really um it came out that's all i can really say about it it came out and if you're at a real loss and you want another dose of vin diesel action injected into your veins then you could do worse i guess but that's all i can really say to its credit paul what else have you got uh, this is moana which again i mentioned that i watched earlier um this is a film i've been meaning to catch up with for a while because it got a lot of a lot of positive reviews to be fair. and i think you're a fan unless i'm otherwise mistaken yeah yeah um yeah, this was this was a weird one for me to be honest because I started out and I was really enjoying it and then in parts I think this is absolutely incredible. I think 
the set pieces are great i think some of the the interactions the performances i think are really really good the characters are really strong um i liked all of that i just felt that in part it almost for me it didn't quite gel as a sum of all of its parts i don't i kind of felt like oh here's an incredible set piece with um jermaine clement as a giant as a giant crab um living under the sea like it looked amazing here's an awesome set piece with a giant lava monster and the rocks fighting a giant lava monster um and here's another awesome set piece in the film the animation looks absolutely stunning I just felt that at times it felt a bit like it was kind of treading water between set pieces. No pun intended, because it is set at the sea, uh, set in the sea. Maybe it caught me in, in, in a slightly dour mood. I don't know. And it's not to say I disliked it, but I, it just didn't quite gel for me. Any any response to that? Because I know you were you were quite a big fan. But yeah, it, it's been a while, man. Like I found it pretty charming. I thought the Jermaine Pennant, uh, Jermaine Pennant, Jermaine Clement uh, song number in this, the giant crab thing, was awesome. Um, I thought yeah, it is awesome. Yeah. The, the rock was really really good. The girl who does the the voice of Moana and the singing for Moana is great. Um, and it kind of swept me along. I mean, do I think about it often? No. I mean, it was a two, <laughs> two three, no. whenever years ago it, that it was, but uh, pretty charming. Yeah, up there with a kind of I don't know. Lilo and Stitch or something like that as a, an animated movie that I'll go to bat for without being sort of a massive fan with posters on yeah, my wall or whatever. I think I think that's fair to say, yeah. I'd say it was sort of up there just a, a touch better than Frozen, I think, but that kind of, in that kind of ballpark of, of those those kind of Disney films. But yeah, in terms of animation-wise, like, it looks incredible. Like, I'll give it that. Like, absolutely stunning. So yeah, that was Moana. Mm. I've remembered the only interesting thing about Bloodshot, so I'm just going to squeeze it in. Uh, <laughs> the kind of, whether it's deliberate or accidental... I, I think deliberate. I'm going to trust it's deliberate. The sort of meta um, sort of Easter egg that is the casting of Guy Pearce in a movie that's fundamentally about a lack of memory. And then a lot of nudges towards uh, the film Memento, of course, that starred Guy Pearce. Uh, no spoilers in that, I don't think. But I thought it was an interesting touch okay, to have him yeah. in that yeah, role. Yeah, that's fair, yeah. Yeah. Um, anyhow, uh, another one that I've seen this week is available on Netflix. I think it's just recently been uh, added to the platform and it's called Unstoppable or Bethany Hamilton Unstoppable. This is a documentary that charts the story of the girl who was at the centre of Soul Surfer, if you remember that a narrative movie from a few years ago. This is the girl who, as I think a 13-year-old, was a massively enthusiastic and successful and much lauded young surfer off the coast of Hawaii who was attacked by a shark and lost the entirety of her right arm, I think. Right arm, left arm? I'm not sure. Left arm, I'm looking at the picture. Uh, lost her whole left arm and it looked like her dreams of being a sort of world champion surfer were dead in the water, so to speak. But she managed to rally back from that point and become world renowned for both her surfing prowess and her courage in the face of adversity. This is pretty inspiring stuff. I chose it deliberately for that reason because I needed something a little bit uplifting in the last couple of days. Um, it is all a little bit milk toast and a little bit bland um, at times because we're just kind of... This is a movie endorsed or sponsored by her own sponsor, the... the uh, apparel brand Rip Curl, surf apparel brand Rip Curl. So you know that what you're getting is basically a, a publicity film for their brand and, and their athlete. But I'm okay with that, man. If you need something to pick you up a little bit, amazing uh, photography in terms of the stuff, uh, surfing big waves, particularly off Hawaii and Togo, I think at one point, they got 
amazing stuff there. Uh, getting, re you know those shots like inside, um, whatever they call those, like barrels or whatever, the waves that are sort of breaking above the surfer as they go through yeah. like a tunnel. Those shots are great. Uh, she's really charming. She looks a little bit like Holly Holm, which was slightly distracting at times. But um, yeah, she goes on to, to great things and, and still seems to be thriving so more power to her uh, that one is bethany hamilton unstoppable now on netflix what else have you got paul uh yeah this was a delight for me this is uh, never been kissed from 1999 starring drew barrymore directed by raha gosnell who recently made um, my favorite my least favorite film i think of the year before last joe dogs uh, interestingly enough um the premise of this is fucking if this was bollocks i'm sorry this is it, everything that's wrong with sort of 1990s film is kind of personified in this film a newspaper reporter played by drew barrymore who has never been kissed in bunny ears um decides for some unknown reason is given an assignment to without a story without any premise of what she's doing given an assignment to go under undercover to re-enroll in high school when she's 25 years old to go undercover in high school and just walk around and pretend to be a high school student which basically means she gets a chance to rerun her to rerun her high school years which surprise surprise she's got she had braces at high school and got picked on um oh the horror um she decides to kind of rerun her high school years and then like the film then follows her and is she popular isn't she popular there's a weird just the whole film's a bit weird i don't understand any of the premise as to, as to why this would have happened in the slightest a teacher then falls in love with her which is apparently fine um nothing's really commented on that at all um and then it seems to be upset when he realizes how old she actually is so i'm not really sure where where this wh what what this film was trying to say or where this film is going it kind of has this little the, the bit at the end where she makes this big whole this makes this whole song and dance when she does become prom queen it's just like well actually life isn't all about being popular i'm like well that's fine to do that at the end but i just i hate films like this it's just like it's all about she's got to be the most beautiful she's got to be the most popular at school and this is just drew barrymore i've read some good reviews of this where people sort of praise drew barrymore's, barrymore's performance it's awful like it just it just falls flat the comedy isn't funny the premise is, is ridiculous and this yeah this film's just everything everything wrong with with 90s high school comedies uh yeah i don't really know why i sat through it or i've just talked about it because we're trying to keep the show positive next <laughs> so uh i've got one a uh, pick me up it is uh charade or charade this the 1963 stanley donnan movie uh starring both carrie grant and audrey hepburn uh, which i saw earlier today and it was pretty lovely if i'm honest uh, this is stanley donnan who directed or co-directed singing in the rain um and here what we've got is um audrey hepburn is married but at the outset of the movie she's holidaying away from her husband in uh, the french alps i think and she's talking quite openly about how she's going to leave her husband it's over and it's going to end in divorce uh, at this point she meets this guy uh debonair guy played by carrie grant all of 60 years old or whatever he was at the time in the 60s um but and she about 33 or something classic, like that classic hollywood absolute <laughs> standard at this time yeah. yes and uh, he obviously takes a shine to her she seems to take a shine to him but it seems as though he's got more to him than perhaps um can be seen on the surface or uh, meets the eye they then move into a stage of their relationship that's sort of loosely and uh, increasingly perhaps a little romantic but right around this point her husband shows up dead um, and intrigue strikes as to who off the husband, 
the fact that the husband had $250,000, of course, a huge amount more than that in today's money, which uh, has suddenly gone missing. Who's taken it? Does Hepburn's character know something about that? Is Cary Grant's character as honest as he seems to be? And there are also a group of three ne'er-do-well men circling around the situation, looking to get that money, believing in their case, that they are owed it for various reasons that are explained during the course of the movie. I would say, like, the good stuff about Sherrard is that there are really funny moments. I mean, the first section, at least the first sort of third or half of the movie, is played as this kind of comedy of manners and really, really well. I mean, Audrey Hepburn is a talented comic actress anyway, but then you've got, like, supporting characters and almost slapstick scenes. Um, for example, the funeral of her husband is played brilliantly where there's nobody there but a procession of individuals walk in and just do a thing for a moment and then leave. One of the guys, for example, walks in and almost takes the door off its hinges as he marches <laughs> in and he's obviously got some uh, bad blood with the uh, the guy who's passed away. But um, yeah, the, the, the other side of that is that perhaps the movie has a bit of a Frankenstein Stein sort of nature to it because the second half of the movie turns into more like a straight thriller with a bit more um you know there are a, a gun or two on screen and chases and so forth and it feels like a bit of a second rate Hitchcock movie at that point mm. um I wanted more of the earlier stuff and maybe less of the later stuff the romantic relationship I don't think ever really ignites I mean it's one of those movies of a time where the uh, female uh, protagonist here played by Audrey Hepburn just goes from having met a guy and maybe being a little bit having a slightly fractious relationship with him to suddenly saying I love you after you know seven minutes or something like that of being in his company which is odd uh, but yeah man this is pretty charming stuff uh, it was recorded off the TV so I wish that I could say it was streaming right now although it is streaming right now available on Prime Video so that one is Sherrod if you have not seen it in these times more than ever I would recommend it what nice. else have you got, Paul? I'll check it out. I've not seen it, so thank you. Um, uh, this is Doctor Sleep, which is a film that, for some reason, we didn't manage to cover last year, or that I missed at the cinema, which for me is quite rare, to be honest. Um, but I've seen it now, so that's good. Um, yeah, so this is uh, Mike Flanagan, who was the director we talked about, I think, last week, or the week, possibly last week, in fact, when we were talking about Oculus, I think. Um, this is Mike Flanagan's um, take on Stephen King's novel, Doctor Sleep, um, which also, as you may well be aware, is a sequel to The Shining. Um... I yeah I wasn't sure what to make of this to be honest I haven't read the book so I went into this I went into this just as a film um, and for the most part I quite like this Pete I'll be honest um, I, I, it doesn't really need to be said that no it's not as good as The Shining um, and I th I think I'd possibly a lot of the hate around this is for people like I've read a lot of comments like Kubrick would be turning in his grave or like but it's the same people that have said that go on the sort of Guardian film comments and go well I haven't seen a good film at the cinema for twenty years my response to you sir is you haven't been to the cinema enough. Um, so yeah I think maybe a lot of the negativity is around that um, it's two and a half hours long it's quite a long film Ewan McGregor is, is good here um, as is Rebecca Ferguson um, so basically to, to, to backpedal on the plot so now so Dan Torrance the kid from the original Shining is now an adult um, he ends up having to protect a young girl from a cult who prey on children with the with the Shining powers so it's a slightly different it's definitely a different approach to the original film which is nice so it doesn't really try and retread where we've been before although the overlook does come up in this um so i like that kind of different approach things i didn't like i thought that the film kind of for the first hour the film lacked context really you've got this this cult led by rebecca ferguson's character who 
are great and these the, are the best way i can describe them are kind of like vampires but they prey on the shining as opposed to human as opposed to human blood they're kind of tracking down people with the shining uh killing them either turning them or killing them and draining their blood for me it's, that's a cool premise but i didn't really get enough context as to why these characters are why they do what they do what are they where are they from you're kind of just thrown into the mix of them and i thought the whole first part of the film la lacked a bit of context um which was probably my only real criticism of otherwise an enjoyable and, and quite fun horror film i think to be fair um that being said there is a director's cut out there which adds half an hour to the proceedings so there is a three-hour director's cut which to be honest i like this enough to want to check that out because from a few i've read in a few places this does fix some some of the film's problems and does flesh out some characters a bit more so i would say if you haven't seen it or are kind of or, or in the boat of oh well why would i want to see a sequel to the shining kind of attitude um to kind of put that to one side it is it's a solid film I, I enjoyed it is that your last one this week paul have you got one more uh that is my last one okay i'll squeeze these two in then because neither of them require yeah th neither require an awful lot of time really um this one is going to be my last dose of jeff wadlow for a good time i think i need to purge <laughs> him from my life uh, this one uh, we did the top five blumhouse movies uh this would be bottom five for sure of the output uh from uh, blumhouse you've this watched truth or dare haven't you i have watched truth or dare <laughs> yeah th so this is your boy wadlow in the director's chair and he's also got into lucy hale of course who was in um fantasy island that we featured a few weeks ago uh and yeah the, the premise is very simple there are some youngsters having good times and we all know when youngsters have good times they need to die uh they are in where mexico i think uh cabo or somewhere like that on some sort of spring break jolly uh they meet a guy who's just sitting on his own at the bar and of course you want to entrust your lives to that guy so they go off with him to what looks like an abandoned church great idea so far brilliant yeah. idea <laughs> uh, at which point they all sit around and decide to play truth or dare and at one point the guy inexplicably says oh this is why i got you all here so that you can have the curse of truth or dare and it turns out that it's not just a game of truth or dare it's a sort of grudge-like curse that follows you around or a bit like something far superior like it follows right and unless you uh, sort of adhere to the rules of the game. So you either tell the truth or you do the dare, then you will die. At, at times it made me think about Final Destination, which again is a very much superior franchise or film. <laughs> yeah. um, and so it's got that problem to begin with. Then I've got the problem that I watched for some reason, the extended cut, which was the one available <laughs> on the uh, on the prime streaming platform, perhaps, if that was where I watched it, or Netflix. I don't know which I think one it was. Netflix. Netflix, right. Brightly, yeah. Uh, yes, and um, why? Why would I watch an extended version of a film that is already terrible? I mean, <laughs> it, I will say, Paul, that for the first sort of 20 minutes, or like at least once the grudge of Truth or Dare gets started, there are kind of creative deaths. They have some fun with it. I was kind of on board, but then it's just dragged out. It's just mm. dragged out to the nth degree until I really do not care anymore. So, um, yeah, Truth or Dare. And then... Just can I just say the way that the movie ends? They are. I can't like, remember. To be I'm honest, not, I can't remember any of the. It, I mean, you've. I, the only only thing I can glean from the plot is what you've just told me, and like the film started. Well, well, I'll tell trickling you. back into memory. I'll tell you these things. Lucy Hale has a YouTube channel. She mentions this at the beginning for absolutely no reason. So you know that this is going to be relevant to the plot in some way. And the way that they try to get rid of the curse is just monstrous. So, oh yes, yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm no, I'm out. 
I'm absolutely out. Truth or Dare sucked. And then another one for this week that was not very good is uh, Paradise Hills. This one from a first-time feature director, I believe, Alice Waddington, starring uh, Emma Roberts and Danielle McDonald, who, of course, is Patty Cakes, uh, amongst mm. other things, and uh, Aquafina, uh, who is usually a reason for me to be excited about something. In this case, not really. This is one of those films that has this aesthetic. Um, it's about a facility for sort of correcting the behaviour of young women but the film is set in modern times but then the correction facility is seeming in some kind of like um, uh, period French settlement it's very odd Mila Jovovich is the sort of um, matron of the operation I guess who is gonna gonna kind of kick these girls into shape and yet it's got this aesthetic everything is of a piece but then it just doesn't really make any sense and it kind of reminded me of do you remember that movie um equals uh with Kristen stewart which is yeah yeah sort of high concept sci-fi thing as well but like incredibly brand uh, bland this is incredibly bland too for all of its frills and colors and spectacle the thing in the middle is like a kind of sunken cake that just kind of fell in on itself so uh yeah i i didn't really get where this went narratively i don't think it had enough ideas to maintain a feature film perhaps that one anyway is paradise hills and that means that i'm finished with this section and uh, in addition we are finished with popcorn movies so we'll be back in just a moment not with coming attractions but with the new and exciting feature on our show which is stream team right after this Yeah, stream team assemble. Pow. Ho. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we're back with stream team where we are going to. I mean, this is kind of an ever evolving seg- segment, really, because it's new to us. So basically, this week we're going to focus on Amazon uh, Movie, Amazon Prime, and Netflix and give you some recommendations of things you may or may not have heard of and things that we think you should be watching. Um, Pete, do you want to kick us off? Sure. So we'll start, um, I guess, with Netflix. Maybe it's the most subscribed of the platforms that have been mentioned. I'm going to go from Netflix for this week, if you have not seen it, or even if you have, for the Armando Iannucci uh, historical dramatic comedy, The Death of Stalin. Uh, This is just knockabout fun. I mean, yes, it's got an intelligence to it. It's got a historical, uh, significant historical uh, setting, and um, it could be even funnier if you are someone who knows uh, your onions when it comes to this particular period of time uh, around the death of, of course, Stalin. But if you don't, it doesn't really matter because you've just got so many great performances on screen all at the same time and so many small situations being played for such big laughs that, um, yeah, it's one to go back to even if you saw it at the cinema the first time around. That one's Death of Stalin. It's on Netflix now. Paul, what have you got? Uh, From Netflix, I have Annihilation directed by Alex Garland, which is a couple of years old now which as regular listeners of the show will know i absolutely loved um it's a it's based on a series of books called the southern reach trilogy which if you haven't read also there's another recommendation for you um definitely check out the books they are bonkers um yeah this is a really really beautifully made and uh, for me utterly compelling um sci-fi that shares certainly shares some i would say some dna with tarkovsky's stalker so if you like stalker then there will be definitely there'll be a lot to take take into annihilation with you um and yeah with one with some of the craziest most out there extreme sci-fi scenes um i've seen in a while i think the last sort of 20 minutes half an hour just absolutely kind of 
picked me up, kicked me in the face, and didn't put me down. Really, uh, I, yeah, I loved Annihilation. I thought it was, I thought it was a superb piece of work. So, uh, yeah, that's my current recommendation this week on Netflix. Yeah, and about the only film that I can think of off the top of my head that has an ending sequence that is equivalent to a sort of tool video uh tool music video so um and that from my point of view is a pretty good thing i mean not yeah. everyone will feel the same but you've got to see it to know what what we're talking about and i think that will be a uh, much discussed by people who haven't seen it yet another one much discussed paul is my recommendation from amazon prime or prime video uh, if you like and this is ari aster's uh midsummer midsummer of course released last year we talked about it on the show last year it came up in the end of year list as well i think it was on my top 10 if you haven't seen it yet two things one it's really good for the most part really really good work and a, and a fitting um or uh, significant what's the, what is it I'm going for like a, of the quality that you would expect from the guy who made Hereditary I guess yeah. I can put it that way uh, on the other hand I would say with a bit of a, a sort of warning here that this is dark material from the outset if you're looking for something to lift your spirits, look to the other recommendations I've made today <laughs> yeah. and not to this one because it is tough and it is gruelling and it is going to be triggering for certain people. So go in with a little bit of caution or maybe read a little bit around it before you go in. But if you can get past all that or if you're not concerned or if you're in high spirits as it is, you've got this amazing performance from Florence Pugh. You've got some of the best depictions of what it's like to be disoriented and isolated and uh, intoxicated. <laughs> at times yeah. yeah on mushrooms and and panicked and stressed and those things might not be what you need in your life right now but if you can handle them um even i've been thinking a lot recently for some reason about the life cycle sequence with the the cliff top that mm. occurs here again not easy stuff but really well handled and um you know we on this show don't need to say any more times that we're big fans of ariaster and we're looking forward to what he does next but if you are yet to catch up with this one it is available now on prime video what have you got from prime paul uh, so prime video for me is snowpiercer um again i think a favorite of both of ours um from director bong jun ho um who has come to some prominence in the early part of the year with a film that you may have heard of parasite um yeah this is um i think two films back for bong jun ho um and certainly had a, a troubled a troubled um route to people's screen shall we say initially due for a u.s release uh, Harvey Weinstein demanded that he made certain cuts. Bong Joon-ho refused, and then Harvey Weinstein, bless his soul, um, decided to shelf shelf the movie essentially in the US, um, and that kind of the knock-on effect kind of delayed the UK release as well. So um, I ended up having to get a Blu-ray of this shipped in from South Korea in the end, which took a while to get here. Uh, but that that aside, it's troubled it's troubled route to the screen aside. It is now available on Amazon Prime, which is great. Um, it is now available uncut. It is the cut that Bong Joon-ho wants you to see. Um, um, it stars Chris Evans, Tilda Swinton, Ed Harris, John Hurt, Jamie Bell, um, among others. Um, it's it's just a fantastic, it's just a fantastic film. It's a really, really great. Um, another example of how Bong Joon Ho kind of gels art, artistic, uh, sort of art house, art house aesthetics and themes with just incredibly watchable sort of entertaining blockbuster cinema like there's the action set pieces in this are absolutely superb the performances are great all round um yeah if you haven't seen snowpiercer uh absolutely check it out at once it's on amazon prime 
Nice. And uh, uh, Okja, of course, is on uh, is on Netflix. Netflix as well, yeah, which is also great. <laughs> uh, so for the third platform, we've gone for Mubi because we kind of advocate for Mubi quite a lot on the show. And you might be saying to yourself right now, why would you put Mubi in? Because it's just another platform. It's more money. People don't have cash right now. Well, it's useful to know then, at least for UK listeners to the show, that Mubi is currently offering three months of their subscription service for just one pound. Uh, one pound for the entirety of that period, which is an incredible offer. So if you've been on the fence, teetering on the fence as to whether to jump in, now might be the time. And just to give you a, a feel, um, if you're unaware, Mubi run 30 films at any one time. One's deleted each day and a new one is added. And at the moment, you've got stuff from uh, David Cronenberg. You've got the entirety of the Vengeance trilogy, uh, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, Lady Vengeance, and of course, Old Boy in the Middle. You've got The Proposition from John Hillcoat. We've got just like quality on quality on quality. So it's a really good one if you're a bit of a cinephile or yeah it's uh, a fantastic a, service yeah yeah a, a big film fan yourself anyway and at one pound for three months you can't go far wrong but i'm going to try and go a little bit less um i guess well known in the sense that my recommendation at the moment is today's new film and that is sisters from brian de palma from 1972 this is one that sticks in my head mostly because it has some of the most brian de palma brian de palma i guess if that <laughs> means anything in terms of doing things like splitting up the screen there's a sequence with detectives coming to uh, an apartment which is just sublime in terms of the the Brian De Palma thing that I'm talking about <laughs> where you've got separate pieces of action going on in separate parts of the screen all at once and beautifully orchestrated and pulled together uh, it tells this story of conjoined twins um, and uh, here a, a witnessing of a brutal murder the detective story and investigation of that murder and who might be responsible and it also stars Margot, Kid uh, Margot Kidder who is well known from things like Black Christmas um, and had a very sort of uh, Superman Lois Lane. And, and Superman, yeah. of course, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that one, Sisters, um, on movie right now and will be for the next 29, 30 days, the next month. Paul, what have you got? Uh, I've got Primer, directed by Shane Carruth, who I know we are both big fans of on this show. Um, this is, I would argue, probably the most... If time travel were possible, this is probably the most realistic film about it. Um, hold on to your heads. You do need to concentrate on Primer or you will get lost very, very quickly. Um, without a shadow of a doubt uh, but if you can't you know if you can focus on it and give it the attention it deserves then you are in for a treat with Primer it's an absolutely incredible piece of work um, and yeah just a brilliant piece of, of grounded sci-fi I'm always a big fan of, of grounded grounded sort of near future sci-fi I guess this is kind of set in the in the present day really where they kind of crack time travel Pete anything to add on, on Primer because I know you're a big fan of this I think you've probably seen this more than I have to be fair but... what, what's the line uh what if it actually works or something like that <laughs> yeah. the thing that you always think about with with primer but yeah it's like this no budget movie that manages like you say to kind of scramble your brain to make you think and actually present hard science in a way mm. that is so rarely what we get in in you know uh, film uh, in at least commercial and less sort of niche filmmaking i suppose and it is the film is sort of single-handedly made shane caruth into something of a legend in the kind of indie scene and you know the 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 amount of um, excitement there is about caruth's next project is testament to the fact that primer had such a big impact and and what he's done since also so yeah big fan big fan and uh, get on it if you haven't seen it yet 
Yeah, absolutely. It's brilliant. But yeah, Mubi at the moment, as you said, Mubi, £1 for three months. You can't really go wrong with that. So yeah, and as I said, everything drops off. There's constantly changing, constantly changing lineup of films. Don't go there expecting kind of your Disney Plus or your bigger blockbusters. It tends to be sort of art house stuff, more indie stuff and world cinema, but it's a really good source for that. And there's a number of times when I've sat there and thought, oh, I really want to watch this film again. And suddenly you log into Mubi and it's there. So, mm. um, which is quite nice. And also when they did, so when High Life came out, they'll do... So High Life as an example, or let's say Parasite is a more recent example. When Parasite came out, you had a number of Bong Joon-ho's back catalogue on there. So they kind of tally their releases, with, which is quite nice, because that's how I ended up seeing the first Safdie Brothers film was, was shown on there, which isn't widely available over here. So that's kind of cool. So yeah, it's a, it's a really, really good service for your sort of more more cinephile, cinephile-type film fans, I should say. Yeah. So. You're right, man. And it's almost like, particularly if you're, you know, like us on on a lockdown at the moment, and we should stress movie is available worldwide, not just in the UK. Mm. But like, if you're on a lockdown at the moment, it's almost like taking a uh, free or close to free film studies course. Yeah. You follow the programming here, go into films maybe that you don't know a lot about, read the synopsis and, you know, watch the trailer. The trailers are all available there as well. And you'll get this education in film that is almost unparalleled when it comes to streaming platforms because a lot of them are so bloated with content that maybe isn't as uh, engaging or, or sort of nourishing as this stuff. So we sound a little bit of pious, but movie's really good. We like it. You can get it cheap right now. Check it out. Uh, we are going to go away for a second and we're going to come back with our feature review for this week. And that is on a streaming platform, and it is in fact called The Platform, currently streaming on Netflix. We'll talk about it right after this. So yeah, this is, as we mentioned before, the platform on the streaming platform, Netflix. That pun, that pun's never going to get old. <laughs> um, yeah, this is a Spanish language film directed by Galda Gaztulo Urrutia. Um, I'm going to commit to that. Um, and stars, among other people, Ivan Masagu, I think is his name, um, plays a character called Goring here. He wakes up sort of confused and seemingly alone, but soon realises there's more to his jail cell than meets the eye. He's in a single jail cell uh, part of it that's part of a massive structure with multiple cells above and below him. Um, food is sent down on an elevator on a daily basis, uh, but there is kind of one... What it start what starts off as a banquet is then sent down to these multiple levels of this prison set of this prison structure uh, and people kind of take what they're given um, and ultimately you don't really want to be in the bottom of this prison called the pit uh, because by the time it gets to the bottom there's very little food left um, yeah uh, Pete, anything to add on the setup on that one? Uh, no, I mean no. I'll, I'll get into my thoughts obviously as we do after we've heard a little clip. Si ha apagado la luz roja, se ha encendido la verde. Acabo de aportarle una información. Ahora lo justo sería que usted me aportase otra a mí, ¿no? ¿Por qué? Si ha apagado la luz roja, se ha encendido la verde. So yeah, Pete, 
initial thoughts on the setup of it i mean i would say this is this is uh, you know if that sounds like it, it is kind of it is much as it is a it is a, a genre piece it is a kind of a near future dystopian sci-fi set in a jail um it does very wear its heart very much on its sleeve in the terms of the fact that yes you could construe that this film might be about capitalism <laughs> yeah i mean that's a good place to start i think because you've just talked uh, a moment ago about snowpiercer and snowpiercer has this setup where you've got the poor at the back the rich at the front and this uh sort of clawing to get yourself to a position where you might get some more power or some more control over your own life by getting to the front of the train in that case. In this case, the uh, prisoners on each level of the, the platform of the tower, I suppose, the platform, of course, being the platform that delivers food rather than the structure. So uh, on each level of the tower, they are completely disempowered because the platform itself only moves downwards. It doesn't move upwards. The food is always falling away from them. You've only got this limited amount of time to take the food that you can eat before it disappears and that time seems to be about a minute or something like that. It's a yeah, very, very short, <laughs> measly amount of time. Uh, and you are thrust into a cell with a guy or girl, woman, that you don't know, uh, most likely you don't know, you've never met before. And every person there, I think, as you mentioned in the intro, Paul, is allowed to take one thing. And many people have taken in a weapon to defend themselves with or maybe just to slice up the person that they've been put with and eat them for dinner when things get tough. So, like, it's pretty bleak from the it's outset. incredibly bleak, yeah. Uh, when we did the... <laughs> preview on coming attractions last week i think it was um and you'd seen it at that point on preview we talked no you talked about the fact that there was this comparison with cube that late yeah. 90s uh, high concept movie from canada i believe uh, about people trapped in a cube which is connected to other cubes which then spawned an unlikely uh, sequence franchise of movies in the end um Yes, that is apt here because the filmmakers have made this film for about 500 euros, I reckon. This has cost nothing. I mean, I even thought as... And, and this isn't per se a criticism, but it's actually a compliment, I think. No, They've it's done an incredible use of a single location. Like, they it, have done so well with it. To, it obviously is. Obviously, they've got one cell that represents all of the cells in the film. And yeah, it's it's brilliant. Uh, just uh, yeah, and it's massive kudos to stretching a small a small budget this far because it still looks and, great. And have they not, Paul? Um, I was interested in watching this. What you'd think, but like, haven't they got? They've got a cell and they've got a parking level of a, a multi-story car yeah. park, and that multi-story multi-story uh, parking level doubles as the vertical shots of the tower. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, pr it's pretty shortly, clever, right? Yeah, which is just a, a a real achievement in terms of lighting and set dressing, so that the audience buy that because this costs no money and it's now out there on Netflix getting gobbled up. And I think it's number one, at least in the UK, on uh, viewed content on Netflix right now. So, uh, wow, uh, great success of the the kind of marketing model of the platform. I think, um, yeah. Then what? I mean, you jump in, man. Like. Where were you at in terms of how much this actually worked for you? Because we've got, it's all good saying we've got high concept, we've made a lot out of a small budget, we're, it's a metaphor, we understand that it's dealing with the uh, capitalism and sort of uh, conspicuous consumption and overindulgence of the upper classes. Does it work as a film? Did you find it entertaining? Did you enjoy this in inverted commas? Enjoying inverted commas, I think is is fair to say. I think it I think it's well made. I think the you know the film the sense of claustrophobia that the film builds from it doesn't waste any time at throwing you at the deep end and it builds a it builds a, a good atmosphere and a sense of claustrophobia pretty quickly to be honest. Um, and I, I and I again I give it 
give it all the kudos in the world for that because it's not always easy to build an atmosphere and this in this does it well i think the the performances are good um the performance is good here which helps because you are you're spending a lot of the film's time with a minimum minimal set of characters so that really helps um and i think the film takes some interesting twists and turns i'm not going to not going to spoil anything here but i think the film takes some interesting twists and turns and certain characters that started out as one thing end up being another which i liked so um yeah i think a, a lot of a lot of positive things to say from this to be honest the you know the the kind of the the look at capitalism isn't subtle but i don't think that really i don't think that particularly harms the film for me um it's it is dark in places it's not going to be for everyone it's not only always an easy film to watch some of the gory scenes um are, are particularly grisly um but i think the director here knows how to use them um pete any any thoughts agree disagree yeah i kind of agree with all the points but then just disagree on my takeaway in the fact that i ended up not liking the movie very much um, okay. and i think that it's because of uh, one of the things you said there like the the fact that the metaphor here is like this movie could just be called metaphor rather than platform i mean because <laughs> yeah. the problem is once you go beyond sort of a 30 40 minute runtime it becomes more and more apparent that that is all there is like there is mm. this overarching metaphor about the way in which the people at the bottom get nothing you know uh why why wouldn't you attack the people above you because i can't shit shit upwards i think is a standout line from the movie yeah uh, <laughs> and then yeah you know people above you don't give a shit and they're going to spit down on your food and they're going to treat you like garbage and maybe 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 you might find a way to ingeniously climb higher and maybe there'll be redemption or some sort of salvation there those ideas are all like really ripe ideas and i'd go for that stuff but it starts to feel like we need a bit more meat on the bone which feels apt for a film like this about people <laughs> eating 94th hand chicken or whatever it is coming down the uh, down the pipe here and then and then there are just things that you start noticing like because it is just a metaphor like the the platform doesn't make sense it's not attached to anything mm. so what how's that how's that working and I, yeah i'm nitpicking sure i am nitpicking but also <laughs> like later on when the platform goes down and and there's i won't spoil what goes on but we see a little bit lower down at least in in the tower we then at one point see a shot of the tower shooting upwards it doesn't it's a plot hole it doesn't make sense because that's never <laughs> happened to any of the characters we also get very little that isn't just meal times so it's the meal time and the meal time and the meal time and the meal time and we get it we get the points that you want to make about these issues around meal time but then there's no real investment you're right to say that, that i think the performances are pretty strong uh that particularly the central character that we start out with mm. is this guy with a sort of really expressive face who looks a little bit like jesus christ which itself is probably not an accident um and i you know i found him engaging but then once it's just like oh he's reading don quixote oh a man why would a man bring a book oh a man's trying to nourish himself intellectually rather than be like i get it like i get it there's it's not a subtle film no it's not <laughs> and, I, and i mean maybe maybe i've seen more uh kind of you know sci-fi-ish movies wrestling with big ideas than the average and yourself probably too paul but like there was a there was a sort of point for me where i just sort of fell off and i just thought i don't know that this is um this is sort of warranted all of the grisly violence and constant suffering and humanity is sort of a rotting you know a husk and i yeah i got i got sort of um punch drunk i think after a while uh with the movie D did you feel that way at all like did you feel at any point exhausted by all the misery here i wouldn't say i felt exhausted i can see where you're coming from in in terms of the fact that the message isn't subtle it's like being hit over the head with a hammer constantly for for, for most of the film in in fairness but for me 
I think the, the the quality of the rest of it, I think the quality of the, the, the claustrophobic atmosphere, what they did with the single location, I think that kind of, that for me made up for that. Mm. Um, and as a result, I kind of enjoyed it as a kind of claustrophobic sci-fi thriller um, more so than I did as this as this big metaphor film. So I can forgive it for that. Although, yeah, you, you're absolutely right in what you say. It does, it, yeah, it, just, it just keeps hitting you over the head with, this is about capitalism, this is a metaphor, this is a metaphor. Um, and that, yeah, it, at times does get a touch a touch tiring um but it didn't harm the film overall for me overall i liked it i have to like say. um you must think of a movie like um what's you you'll remember the name the uh, high rise yeah uh, what's the the director's name Ben Wheatley. ben Wheatley, yeah. Uh, what Ben Wheatley did with High Rise, which obviously is not a, his own original text, but the adaptation of High Rise, I thought suffered in some ways from a similar thing. But there was so much that was visually engaging about that movie that I didn't quite end up feeling the way I feel about the platform or platform. Because here you've just got this bare bones set and it's grey on grey on grey. I think it it needed a little bit injected into it for me to keep me on board with all of the heavy-handed messaging um, here. It struck me, Paul, that it was the kind of movie that I would see at like a Fright Fest or something like that, like a mm. genre film festival, and probably mark out as like, oh, that was an interesting bit of work. You know, I'd look into what this guy's going to do next. And I think maybe it suffered because it was kind of pushed at me and us on Netflix, very much front and centre on the front page of Netflix. And that shouldn't be a reason to criticise a movie because like you say, I mean, there is a lot to credit the the filmmakers with here. They've done so much with so little. Uh, I just wish at a certain point they'd then started to not do too much with so little, I guess, if that makes any sense. But uh, yeah, I mean, if you're into your sci-fi, if you're into your high concept stuff, and if you've got a decently strong stomach, I think you, you, you could recommend it. I could recommend it. I would I would recommend it. I liked it. I said I, I, the, I, your criticisms are valid. I totally, totally see where you're coming from. I would... I would recommend this anyone if you like the cube if you like kind of low gritty sort of low budget sci-fi stuff or there's um uh, there's other films that come to mind that completely escape me now um but yeah if you like your kind of gritty low budget european sci-fi stuff um then this i think works sits well sits well up the list of those i thought it was i thought it was a solid effort and i, I liked it well that one is is it called the platform yeah it is the called platform, the platform yeah. right right yeah. the poster makes it less clear but yeah um the platform is currently streaming on Netflix. Now, the platform, for all its um, relative qualities or maybe um, shortfall, is a movie that I think it's fair to say is not particularly uplifting. So, <laughs> that is a fair comment. So, <laughs> we're going to right the ship and bring it into uh, happier waters with our top five for this week, which is our top five uplifting movies. Right after this. Okay, so back we are uh, with much happier section than our review of the platform. Although the re I think the review was happy enough, it's just the film is not. So we will we will warn you of that. Uh, yeah, our top five uplifting movies. So this is any films um, that uplift us. So this is a very personal list, I think, to all of us. So I think there might be some surprises uh, for listeners at home as to what goes into this list. Um, I do earlier on. I was like, Pete, can I have this film? And he was like, That's okay. That's okay. So um, yeah, there's two films that sit in the same. Well, I'm quite excited about this because there's two films that sit in the same top 
top five that I never thought would be in a top five together. So that's always a winner for me. Um, I just wanted, before we start, uh, my wife wanted to throw one into the mix here, which I don't agree with, uh, but I'll, I'll take it anyway. My wife wanted to uh, make sure Beethoven got a shout out here. The uh, the the surprise the but the the family comedy uh, that goes surprisingly dark towards the end. So there is the Beethoven shout out for my wife. That should keep her happy uh, for at least a day. <laughs> so indeed, um, yes. Before yeah. you bury yourself, Paul, I'm going to uh, <laughs> take over control of this top five and say no. Uh, absolutely, though. I think as you quite rightly say, it's personal for us. I mean, to be honest, most of our lists are personal. That's kind of the point of doing them. But well, uh, yeah. but at the same time, it's it's interesting like Laura pointing out another recommendation because I think everybody listening to this is going to have their own little cluster of like oh these films make me feel great or lift my spirits when I'm feeling a bit low when things at the moment are weird and you need something to pick you up and just make you feel a bit better you're going to have your own but of course it's always helpful I think for others to throw out things that make them feel that way and that's what we're going to try and do with this list so hopefully you might not like everything that we recommend here it might not all be for you but you might find something and if you can find something then I think we've done our job Paul, do you want to go first or second? Uh, I'll jump in first. Um, I was going to put a Godzilla film in here, but I couldn't really pick one, and also they're not widely available anywhere. So what, we've, what I've tried to do is keep to stuff that's widely available. So, But that being said, Godzilla, any of the original Godzilla films, do cheer me up. So I wanted to throw those into the mix. But that aside, the first one I wanted to talk about, and it is now streaming on Disney+, Plus, um, is arguably my favourite Disney film, which is The Emperor's New Groove. Um, which I absolutely love. I think it was the first time I watched a Disney film and thought there's quite a lot more going on here and I think a lot of the humour in Emperor's New Groove is squarely aimed at adults and not at kids. Um, the character of Krunk in this just never fails to make me laugh. Um, the concept of the Emperor's New Groove, uh, the Emperor Kuzco is turned into a llama by his extra administrator and must now regain his throne with the help of Pasha, a gentle llama herder. So you've got the kind of the kind of oh someone's been turned into a llama, the kind of Disney silliness that goes on here, and there's there is the kind of gentle the gentle Disney comedy that everyone is familiar with. But there's I for me I, I, I said dark is the wrong word. There's more of a comedic edge to cr the character of Crunk especially, um, and this film makes me laugh more than most Disney films do. Uh, and I may even watch it this evening. But yeah, Emperor's New Groove. If you haven't seen it, check it out. It's great. Nice. Uh, first for me, I mean, there's only one director that I could go to at a time like this, and that is the director going by the name of Beyonce Knowles, Paul Anderson. Uh, my number five pick <laughs> for this uh, uplifting movies uh, top five is Homecoming, a film by Beyonce. And the reason this is here, man, is because at the moment we're all having to separate from one another. No one can spend time with anything more than their own immediate family or the person or people that they live with. And what you get in this documentary, which leads up to Beyonce's performance at Coachella in 2018, is the absolute opposite of that. You've got an incredibly talented group of people getting together, feeding off each other's energy, working in tandem. These incredible dance routines that are all absolutely like orchestrated and uh, and um, what's the word? I'm what's the thing of. Uh, Choreograph. choreograph thank you yeah choreograph to like within an inch of their life and then at the center of it you've got this incredible woman Beyonce Knowles who in the course of the documentary uh, becomes pregnant has to go through pregnancy whilst also trying to stay vaguely in shape as soon as she's had the baby she's back out there she's she's hustling she's practicing she's dancing she's singing exceptionally and then we build it all up to these performances these incredible performances and I think like this movie or documentary movie 
captures a moment where one of the most significant figures from modern music history is at the absolute height of her power. And I think for that reason, it's almost a historically significant document. And apart from anything else, man, it makes you feel good to see people who are doing what they love, doing it exceptionally well and bringing so much positivity to the situation. So I'm not going to feel in any way ashamed about putting Beyonce's movie at number five on this list. What have you got at four? At number four, um, this Conair, Pete. I've got Simon West Conair from uh, the night from nineteen ninety seven, if I remember rightly. Um, what is there not to love about Conair? It's an incredibly stupid film. Um, it kind of sums up the nineties. For me, it's the ultimate nineties action film. Um, you've got Nicolas Cage, John Cusack, John Malkovich, Danny Trejo, Colmini, Ving Rhames, Steve Buscemi. Like just in a ridiculous cast, a ridiculous cast for what should be like a, th- a throw of a ridiculously stupid throwaway action film you shouldn't see these actors in this kind of film it was one of the first films that i think that did that and, and did it remarkably well um yeah it's a film that i can if i'm ever ever feeling in the slightest bit down i can put on con air and enjoy it as much as i enjoyed it the first time round. yes it's an incredibly dumb film but malkovich is clearly having the time of his life as cyrus the virus grisham the man that claims to have killed more people than cancer like if you've got a villain that claims that then i don't think you can go too far wrong with this you've got nicholas cage trying there's a game you can play try and try and place where nicholas cage's accent is from in this um a kind of nicholas cage's hair in this film is, is incredible um just everything about this film is is delightfully over the top just gleefully gleeful absolute nonsense and i love every shitty second of conair <laughs> nice and no and as we were saying at the outset it's good to have you know anything and everything as long as it fulfills that function of making you feel good, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, And with that in mind, Paul, you're going to be charitable towards my next choice because this is one I would think above almost any other film that I can remember in recent history where we have diametrically opposed views on the movie. But it is on my... Is this wild? It it is wild, yes. Oh, God. On my my list at number four, Paul, you don't need to comment. It's fine. Let's keep it positive. Uh, It's on the list for a number of reasons. This is this Jean-Marc Vallée movie about Cheryl Strayed. Cheryl Strayed wrote this book about how her life basically went to shit and when it went to shit she went out on the uh, Appalachian Trail uh, Pacific Northwest Trail one of the trails she went on a long trail and she was going to walk for a very long time on her own and she didn't really know how to do that she didn't really know if it would work out but at that point didn't really care like she needed to do something that would hopefully give her a sense of direction in the the wider sense of, of direction in her life really and I think the reason why the film resonates and the reason why I think it qualifies as uplifting is because a lot of us right now might be feeling a little bit lost and certainly quite isolated. I, as you are, I think, Paul, we're lucky that we live with someone that we care greatly about. Not everybody has that. And a lot of people right now are on their own and completely isolated. And the character here, you know, yeah, the differing uh, viewpoints, I guess, abound when it comes to Cheryl Strayed as a, a person in culture but as depicted here by Reese Witherspoon is just a person who is trying to do the best she can on her own and 
God damn, that's hard at the best of times. And then when things like what's going on right now hit, it becomes an awful lot harder. And I think that when she sets about this task, which is way beyond her capabilities and just keeps going and just keeps putting one foot in front of the other, that's something in itself which is kind of inspiring and to me at least quite relatable. So that's why Wild is my number four. And I wanted to also add um, the Beyonce movies on Netflix at the moment because we should be saying where these things are available, I guess. That is why uh, yeah, my number yeah. four. What have you got at number yeah. three, Paul? Uh, Conair, you can currently rent from Amazon, I think, for the bargain price of £3.49. Um, there you go. Uh, my number three is um, Buck, The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. You must have known this would be on the list, Pete, I would have of thought. Of course. Um, so, yeah, just to give you the IMDb synopsis, it does a better job than me of trying to explain this this absolutely bonkers film. Uh, adventurer, brain surgeon, rock musician, Buckaroo Banzai and his crime-fighting team, the Hong Kong Cavaliers, hence my Twitter handle if anyone was wondering, uh, must stop evil alien invaders from the 8th dimension who are planning to conquer Earth. Um, yeah, so in this film, we've got Peter Weller as Buckaroo Banzai, John Lithgow, Ellen Barkin, Jeff Goldblum, Christopher Lloyd. So again, it's another, it's another sort of another film with an incredible cast. Um, yeah, it's as bonkers as that premise made it out to be. Um, it's got, for me, I think the finest, the finest final credit scene ever committed to film that um, we've talked about before on the show for sure. That I think Wes, An- Wes Anderson definitely paid homage to it with in Life Aquatic. Um, yeah, high concept does doesn't really doesn't really start doesn't really start to cover this um there's time travel in this as i said he's a brain surgeon he's an incredibly trained the lead character buckaroo banzo this is he's incredibly well trained martial artist he's a brain surgeon he's got his own comic it's just absolutely it's absolutely bonkers the aliens are the aliens are bizarre the film is bizarre the special effects are, are clunky the film is clunky in parts but I, I don't think i've seen a film quite like this um the director of this is, is wd richter um, and if anyone is interested, he's the guy that wrote Big Trouble in Little China. So if you've seen Big Trouble in Little China, you should have some idea or, or, or half an idea of what you should, you're letting yourself into uh, with the adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension. Is it? You may have said, is it available right now? Uh, it's available to rent on Prime Video at two pound forty nine. Not at bad. the moment, and that is the best two pound forty nine you could possibly spend. <laughs> nice. Um, the next one for me now. Uh, Wild also available on Netflix. I need to say them when I'm actually talking about them. <laughs> uh, both of mine are on Netflix so far. Uh, that's Homecoming and, and Wild. But uh, the third one is obscure, but I'm going to give you a place where you can find it. So the next one is a movie called Sib or the English title, The Apple. It's a film made and released in 1998 by a young Iranian director called Samira Mak. Mac Malbath, let's go with that. Mac Malbath, who is the daughter of Mohsen Mac Malbath, who is, um, from all accounts, one of the preeminent uh, members of the Iranian New Wave, a really influential figure when it comes to Iranian filmmaking. But Samira, his daughter, directed this movie when she was seemingly 17 or 18 years old, which is the first thing that I found phenomenal on investigating it. Because and again, I've picked it for a very specific reason. It's this kind of a lo-fi movie in 4-3 ratio in black and white that tells the story of a 
couple of sisters who are raised, I think they're 12 years old at the time we joined them, they're raised in complete captivity. Their parents don't allow them to go anywhere because they fear that the negative influence of the world is going to pollute the minds of these girls. So they live walled in. They're allowed to go into a little patio area where they try to find their joy, trying to catch a peek over the fence or over the wall to see what's going on with maybe the other kids, where the noises that they hear come from. Not dissimilar in a modern context to something like Room, I guess. Um, okay. But without, of course, the, the sort of kidnapper per se situation that you get there. Um, this thing, though, is just one of those movies that is both relevant to right now, because some of us, we can feel a little bit captive in our in our own homes, uh, but also allows a moment of just incredible release when the girls finally get to go out. And it's just, oh, it, it stuck with me ever since I first saw this 15 years ago probably because of those sequences where young minds are like encountering all this stuff in the world that as kids we took for granted and they're seeing it for the first time with fresh eyes and it thinking about this movie it almost made me think about what it's going to be like when we go back to normal things after uh, hopefully this period of uh, coronavirus lockdown ends and so for that reason I have to recommend the apple now I said you could find it somewhere and you can this movie is available right now to stream for free at a website called Rare Film M. So it's rarefilm with an additional M dot com and you've got the full movie there. Like I say, it's a free platform. It's uh, dubbed the Cave of Forgotten Films. So a place to see sort of oddities and rarities that are made available without fee to consumers. So yeah, check it out if that sounds interesting to you. I understand I might be speaking to a fairly small subset of the audience here, but uh, yeah, the, <laughs> Sib the Apple is really great, really great. Uh, what have you got at number three? Uh, I've gone slightly more mainstream than this, which is a film I think everyone has heard of. Um, it's an absolute joy, and I love it equally every time I watch it. This is The Princess Bride uh, from 1987. Just There's just nothing about this film that doesn't work. It's just an absolute joy from start to finish. Um, just an incredible, an incredible fairy tale with endlessly quotable lines. Uh, great performances from Carrie Ells, Mandy, Paten- Mandy Patinkin, uh, Robin Wright. Um, it's just, it's just an absolute joy from start to finish. If, I mean, I'm not going to go go down the plot route because I imagine everyone listening to the show has probably seen The Princess Bride at one time or another. And if there is any time in the world where we needed The Princess Bride, it is this moment in time. Um, yeah, Princess Bride, just a- absolutely love it. I think it's just a superb film. Pete, are you a fan? Is it? Yeah, yeah, I am, and and have a, a loose sort of seven degrees of separation connection to. Carrie Elwes as well, which uh, is a reason why I always kind of look out for Carrie Elwes stuff. Um, but I've probably spoken about that on the show before. Is this one <laughs> streaming at the moment? Uh, it is on Netflix, I think. Um, it certainly was on Netflix quite recently, so nice. I hope it's still on UK Netflix. If it isn't, then I apologise, listeners. Uh, but yeah, if you and also you might have this in the DVD collection. To be fair, so re-seek it out. Uh, let us know your thoughts. Mm. But yeah, Princess Bride is my number two. Nice. Yeah, sorry, you're up to number two. As am I now. This one, my number two, is a film that I've definitely talked about on our show before. It's called Etre et Avoir, or To Have and To Be. Um, This one, a documentary about a one-room school in rural France. Now, stop. This is not me being like some highbrow film guy adult. Like, it's not that. It's really not that. This is a wonderful, wonderful experience because what the film's about is basically a, a, a teacher who apparently is some kind of 
I don't know, angel. Uh, he gives up pretty much all of his time in this one-room school to educate kids, not only at one age group, but sort of mixed age group. The challenges of one age group as a teacher myself is a pretty, pretty big challenge. And when you're mixing age groups together, even more so. But then this is a teacher who, to me, is the absolute embodiment of what a teacher should be. A person who is not only interested in delivering content and sort of giving them things that they can have, but is concerned also with what they can be as people and how these young kids from sort of age four to 11 years uh, can understand the world and can deal with the world. And again, it strikes me as a thing that's particularly relevant right now when all the kids in our country are not able to go to school anymore because of shutdown and, and separation and social distancing, that the, the amazing things that can happen when different generations are in, in um, collaboration, I suppose, with each other, which sounds a funny thing to say when you're talking about like a seven-year-old talking to a grown man. But there's a sequence in it that I've talked about on this podcast before, where the guy tries to explain to one of the kids, um, eff effectively mortality, and it, it moved me to to uh, delightful but troubling uh, difficult tears at the time. It's it's just this piece of work that I try and recommend as much as possible, Etre Avoir. And it's the one that I'll say, um, sadly, you cannot currently stream for free as far as I know. But it's on Prime Video for £3.49. So if you're an educator yourself, interested in education, interested in kids, uh, remembering fondly your own childhood, any of these things appeal to you, I think it's very much worth the money. Um, it's it's really, really great. Uh, 87 meta score. If you don't believe me, believe other critics. It's really, really good. Uh, Paul, this brings us to number one. What have you got at number one? The most uplifting movie. So I, again, I want to say this with the same proviso that you've you've come in with there. I'm not saying this because I'm trying to be I'm trying to be a sort of a high end film guy. I'm not trying to espouse my cinephile credentials in any way or be patronising to anyone. But my number one movie, Pete, is Transformers the animated movie. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of in terms of films that just uplift me, I watch this without fail every year on my birthday, um, which was quite recently, in fact. So I'd watched it. I think with may have, I, I don't know whether I talked about it in the last show or not. I may well have done. But yeah, it's just for me just it's my favorite movie it was my favorite movie as a child the soundtrack is absolutely incredible an incredible selection of of pure unadulterated 80s cock rock um you've got the touch you've got the power dare dare to believe you can survive all stuff that comes up my gym playlist as well I'll, I'll be i'll be honest on that one um yeah it, it's the like it's very very light on plot very light on plot i'll be honest there is just it's just uh, sort of a tight sort of 90 minutes of just robot shooting at other robots um, endlessly quotable um, I can I can basically it's one of the handful of films that I can I can watch this and basically go line for line as as the characters say dialogue on this one um, it's yeah it's it's a crazy crazy film um, uh, Orson Welles is in this I think it's the final Orson Welles performance you've got Judd Nelson here Leonard Nimoy is in this um, so you've got again a surprising all the ones on my list seem to have surprisingly starry cast for the subject matter that they actually are about um, but yeah don't go in expecting a masterpiece of storytelling but it is an absolutely insane film and I absolutely love Transformers the animated movie it's one of my I think it came in in my, one of my top 10 films of all time in fairness um, and that is not certainly not down to its quality as a film uh, just in terms of in terms of how much it makes me smile and how much I enjoy it you will not find a bigger smile on my face than when I'm watching Transformers the animated movie uh, now available to rent on Amazon at the moment nice uh so yeah, I'm 
going to continue, Paul, the very much um, highbrow, I'm a cinephile, serious film guy talk, <laughs> because the one that stood out, like a sore thumb to me when I thought, what would I put on if I really wanted to guarantee that I'd be cheered up in a sort of hour and a half, two hour runtime, in this case, one hour and 36 minutes? Well, I know what it would be. It would be Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story from the year oh, two- that's a good shout. 2007. That is a good shout. Oh. Uh, this one isn't free at the moment. It's £2.49, either on YouTube or through Google Play's platform. But uh, why put it this high? I mean, yeah, as you've rightly said, Paul, we're not doing here a countdown of quality or meta scores or whatever for uplifting movies. This uh, came into my life at a time when I was living abroad in a single uh, serving studio apartment. And I was going through a period of feeling pretty isolated, pretty lonely, pretty at times kind of alienated from the world that I was living in, living abroad at the time. And then suddenly you've got John C. Riley doing a kind of mashup of every biopic um, sort of tragic musical figure. It was all the rage at the time to make these movies about the path that had been taken by, you know, Ray Charles or uh, Johnny Cash or whoever was the flavour of the month to put into a very self-serious movie. And here you've got all of that skewered by this Dewey Cox character who at the film's outset has an innocent machete fight with his brother and accidentally <laughs> slices him in half. Uh, and from this point, it's just quotables on quotables on quotables for an hour his and a John half. John C. Reilly's take on Bob Dylan is just amazing. sublime as well. Yeah, it's so good. It's amazing. I mean, the soundtrack <laughs> album that you can get on Spotify for this is great and worth recommending on its own. Uh, the film itself follows the life of this man from the time that he tries to make it big, having uh, obviously accidentally cut his brother in half and trying to get over the demon <laughs> that are associated with that he goes into a uh, bar and uh, sings the blues better than anyone's heard him uh, someone sing the blues before and he's like seven or something at the time uh, he by the time he's about 13 he's got a wife and kids and he's just trying to make ends meet and then we go on his journey which culminates in, in him finally at the end of his career trying to write a song that sums up everything about the human experience in a sort of perfect three minute pop song uh, this is a is it, I was a borderline work of genius in the I love it I, I'm totally with you I just I don't understand it kind of disappeared sank, it kind of sank at the box office um, and didn't really do that well critically I don't think but I'm, I'm totally with you I think it's I think it's superb I'm re- it's just shamelessly silly from start to finish and I it just it's great I really think it's a it's a lot better film than it gets credit for, yeah. for sure. Yeah, and so many of the, the actors and actresses involved in this movie, when you see them in other stuff, you just think about uh, Dewey Cox and his story again, even uh, down to someone like Jenna Fisher, who obviously made a huge name for herself in the American office, but I still think of her doing, uh, you know, Let's Duet or whatever in the, in this movie. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and of course this is uh, written or co-written by Judd Apatow. It's, I think, for me, the, the absolute pick of the bunch when it comes to Judd Apatow-associated stuff. And John C. Mm. Riley is great in most places, but don't try and tell me that Step Brothers is a better movie. You're deluded. You're absolutely not, deluded. You're abs- yeah, absolutely. The, Step Brothers is not better. This is definitely a better movie. Than yeah, Step Brothers. D- you know, do yourself a favour. Spend two pound forty nine if that's what you need to do. But like, it will put a smile on your face. It won't hang around too long, and you will be quoting it for the rest of the year. That's Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story, and my number one, uh, Paul. We could do honourable mentions, but it would go on forever. So I su- It would go on forever, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose instead we should uh, just cap off the show with credits. Have you got anything in particular to pay credit to this week that you could recommend to people other than all the recommendations we've done in terms of films? 
Uh, yes, if your life is uh, dull and you are stuck inside, then I suggest that you purchase a Nintendo Switch if you can find one and get yourself on this Animal Crossing game that everyone's been talking about. I'd never played an Animal Crossing game before this week, and now I just want to play Animal Crossing all the time, Pete. I haven't even got very far. Apparently, the game opens up a lot once you've opened a shop and a museum at the end of, the I think, the first week. It's weird. It kind of works in real time, so you can only do a certain amount of things in one day before before you kind of go to bed in game and then you wake up in the morning and you think there's new things to do very very gentle you're cu you're kind of you're cutting down trees for resources you build at the moment I'm, i was supplying resources so they could so the shop could build an island and then a lot of cute characters can come and move onto your island you talk to your neighbors you do things for them you're basically living a life you're living a life in animal crossing that we can't live outside at the moment um and yeah it's a joy it's again like nintendo just their the quality of their first party output is just incredible every time they turn their it's almost every time they turn their brain to something it comes it comes out with an incredible game so yeah animal crossing new horizons on switch at the moment i'm very very new to it um i don't really know what i'm doing but i'm having a hell of a time with it so yeah that would be my credit for the week nice i've heard good things definitely i've heard good things uh mine is very very specific this week but i'm not going to make any apologies for that uh, a set of circumstances occurred paul uh what happened is somebody on twitter uh, put up a post which is what is the best uh, narrative rap song of all time rap track <laughs> so with the best storytelling effectively and right. i and i posted a three or four of my own choices and one of the ones that i put there was uh, a track by a, a group called jedi mind tricks with a guest spot by a guy called ra the rugged man and this is called uncle common valor a vietnam story and the verses on that are mind-blowingly good but that is by the by a couple of people got in touch with me and they said you know that would be my choice as well and we just started chatting about how good particular lines were anyway this is the first part of my story then i was showering paul it's intimate this story uh, i was showering and i had music on and it was that release radar thing they do on spotify where they throw out things that are new that you might like from other stuff that you like and I heard a particular rapper on a track and I thought, I know this guy. It's R.A. the Rugged Man that I've been thinking about this week. This guy hasn't put an album out, album out for about six years, but this is definitely him and I've never heard this before. And then the other voice on the track I recognise, and this is Slug from a group called Atmosphere. Again, this is all very niche, but if you know what I'm talking about, you'll appreciate it. Uh, and I thought, this is great and I'm sure this is also new. So I checked it out and indeed it is. One more thing to add, Paul. At that time, just before the track came on, I was having a particular thought, and it was this thought about aging out of stuff. I mean, both of us, Paul, have probably had this thought at some point. When you start to think, like, am I too old for this thing, right? Am I yeah. above the age where I should be enjoying it, or it's right, or whatever? And usually get to the conclusion, like, it doesn't really matter, you know, I like what I like. I've been having that thought, and as the track came on, and I started listening to what R.A. was saying on the track, it is all about aging out of stuff. Uh, the wow. track is called uh, <laughs> Golden Oldies, and it tells this story about the rapper having a new girlfriend who's about 10 years younger than him, it seems like. So it's sort of generation different. She grew up with certain music. He grew up with different music. She grew up liking uh, certain kinds of entertainment. He grew up with other things. Again, brilliant narrative hip-hop stuff. This was 
such a sort of serendipitous thing to happen that I had to recommend it. So the track is called Golden Oldies. It's by Ari the Rugged Man. It's on Spotify right now or other streaming platforms, of course, are available. Uh, I think it's great. I think a lot of his work is great. A lot of Atmosphere's work is great. So check that out. If you don't like hip hop, just ignore everything I've just said. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that brings me to the end of that. We've got some social medias and stuff, I guess, Paul, that we should mention. We do, yeah. So f- come find us at Stranger Cinema on Twitter, Strangers in a Cinema on Instagram and Facebook. And if you do want to email us, uh, Strangers in a Cinema at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to chat to us about anything on the show or anything else, um, you're more than welcome to get in touch. It'd be good to hear from you guys. Uh, but that's it for this week. We'll be back next week um, with some feature reviews of some films and stuff. See ya. Shut up and sit down.